Welcome to Future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, and together we'll explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. I'm excited to announce this podcast has a new partnership with Rhode Island PBS. Going forward, you can find all video episodes at ripbs.org forward slash XYZ, as well as on the Rhode Island PBS YouTube channel. The audio versions are available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to this week's very special episode of Future of XYZ. It is the beginning of our fourth season of Future of XYZ and our very, very first episode of 2023, which is in partnership with Rhode Island PBS. Very, very exciting. And we have a really interesting topic today to talk about the future of Parkinson's disease with the chief of staff at the Michael J. Fox Foundation, my dear friend, Vanessa Arenado. Vanessa, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I'm excited to kick off the season. Well, you've been, uh, you are now serving as the chief of staff um, at the at the foundation, but you've been in various roles um, for almost 10 years, if I'm not mistaken, largely research roles, given your own background uh, with a master's uh, in public health at Columbia and undergrad pre-med at, at NYU. Um, what is, like, let's just ground down, we'll talk about the foundation, but wh- what is Parkinson's disease? Sure. Uh, so... Uh, you're right. I've been with the foundation for for ten years, um, and uh, I'm I'm excited to be here to to talk about you know what is Parkinson's disease and what the future holds. Um, so Parkinson's is the second most common neurodegenerative uh, disorder after Alzheimer's. Um, so um, most people know Parkinson's to cause um, common movement changes or motor symptoms, right? So um, a tremor. Um, slowness of movement or changes in gait, like the ability to walk. But um, what's um, equally impacted are some non-motor um, symptoms as well. So um, changes in cognition and the ability to think, um, as well as you know autonomic dysfunction. So um, changes to the autom- autonomic nervous system. Um, and everyone kind of gets their own version of the disease. The journey with Parkinson's is is different for everyone. So if you've met a person with Parkinson's, you've really only met one person with Parkinson's, as we like to say. So um, it's a it's a pretty heterogeneous disease. Which I imagine makes it very tricky both to study and find cures for. I mean, how many people in the U.S. and or in the world are affected by Parkinson's? Estimates suggest that it's around a million people in the United States that are affected by Parkinson's disease and um, probably somewhere around 6 million people worldwide living with Parkinson's today. Um, But with age um, being the biggest risk factor for Parkinson's disease, so most people get diagnosed with Parkinson's after the age of 60, around there, um, that number is actually expected to double by the year of 2040. So, um, you know, the the time is now to really think about investing in in and getting involved in in Parkinson's research. Um, you know, a recent study in the um, uh, a journal uh, NPJ Parkinson's disease actually suggests that the number of new cases of Parkinson's in older adults uh, in the U.S. may actually even be higher than the current estimates. Um, It could really be um, up to nearly 90,000 new cases of Parkinson's every year. Um, So it's it's really, um, you know, the incidence and I think the impact of Parkinson's disease um, continues to grow. 
Well, I, it was one of the questions I was going to ask, actually, because age is such a factor. I mean, in the case, however, of, of you know, Michael, Michael himself, he was very young and it brought awareness very, very quickly, I think, to something that otherwise was, you know, previously kind of probably shunted off as an old person's disease. Mm -hmm. um, but it was one of the questions, which is like, as the... It, American, but global population ages, but especially the American one, is this growing? And the answer, I mean, that's those are some shocking numbers. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And it, it makes your guys' mission more critical, I would say, than ever. Um, can you talk a little bit, I mean, both about, you know, kind of how this came about and when and what your mission is and, and kind of how it operates? Sure. Uh, so the, the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research um, was founded in the year 2000 um, by Michael J. Fox um, and um, the our, our current CEO and co-founder, Debbie Brooks. Um, and, you know, from from day one, and actually this continues today, the mission of the foundation is to um, accelerate the development of better treatments for people living with Parkinson's. Um, by accelerating the research that you need in order to get to to new treatments. Um, and, you know, our our business model is we want to go out of business. We want to find a cure and we want to shut our doors um, and we want to do that as urgently as possible. Um, so, you know, 20-ish um, years later, um, you know, there's there's been actually a lot of progress. Um, you know, to your point, it was... Um, not really a disease that was, I think, um, as as common in our vernacular, and and now I think it's, um, you know, you'll you'll see much more of this in in you know the media and um, and the, our ability to just talk about it as a as a community. As I mentioned, it's the second most common neurodegenerative disorder behind Alzheimer's, so um, it needs to be a topic of conversation, and so. Um, you know, our our mission to accelerate those treatments, um, you know, it, it, we're having an impact for sure. Um, you know, we partner um, most importantly with um, the Parkinson's community, people living with Parkinson's, um, people who are affected by Parkinson's because their family or friends have it, um, and as well as, you know, pharmaceutical companies, biotech companies, um, regulatory agencies, all of the sort of partners that are needed in the research ecosystem to get better drugs or get better interventions to people living with Parkinson's. Um, so then I guess better coverage also, right? I mean, in that regulatory slash governmental, exactly. yeah. Yes. Having better treatments doesn't really help anyone if, if you can't actually access it, right? So, you know, since 2014, uh, you know, some some good news is that the FDA has actually approved 18 new Parkinson's disease therapies, um, including two treatment options that um, were actually funded by the Michael J. Fox Foundation in, in the early days. Um, right. And there's more than 105 unique, you know, therapeutic um, approaches that are currently being tested in Parkinson's disease. So listen, most Women of those- 145 that we know of, actually. And that's global or that's U.S. specific? That's globally that are being wow. tested. Um, but, you know, here's the thing about drug development, right, is most, you know, therapeutic programs, they're not going to make it to that finish line for various reasons. But the fact that we know that there are 145 different unique therapeutic approaches means that we've got a lot of shots on goal. And you know, I think that's that's something to be hopeful for um, as we look forward. Well, especially as we think about like what just the breakthrough in Alzheimer's that just happened. Right. I mean, everything is a possibility. And even if it's not the you know, the the, the panacea that we hope and that 
the magic pill. It's it obviously everything helps as you're talking about. One of the questions that's come up, and before we come back to the foundation, one of the questions that's come up because you guys obviously are funding research that is kind of far out to, as you say, eradicate Alzheimer's, but also to help those people who are living with and or will be living with Alzheimer's in, sorry, with Parkinson's in my interim. I think one of the things that's very curious to me is, is, is it affects the dopamine level. Parkinson's affects dopamine in the brain, right? Which so coordinate, as you said, movement and, you know, all those kinds of things. Is there a way, or maybe that's one of the trials, of regenerating dopamine once it's lost? Or like, how how, how can the body get it back? Or is it, are one of the things looking at synthetics? So it, it's a great question. And that is absolutely a, a field of study for drug development. Absolutely. So the the link between Parkinson's and dopamine loss is, is well established. Um, so that's definitely an approach that different um, different programs are are taking. Can you actually regenerate that? And would that actually have an impact on someone who has Parkinson's? Um, we certainly do not want to limit ourselves to just that. So the pathology and sort of underlying biology of Parkinson's is actually even more complex than just the loss of dopamine. So, you know, as an example, um, you know, a, a hallmark of Parkinson's disease beyond the loss of dopamine um, is this clumping of a protein in your brain. Um, the name of the protein is called alpha-synuclein. Um, and that does seem to be, again, a hallmark of, of what Parkinson's disease is. And so that is just one other example of something that we know is happening in the biology of people who have Parkinson's disease. And so can you actually develop a therapeutic intervention that actually, you know, is related to alpha-synuclein as one example. So um, absolutely, I think the the loss of dopamine is um, is an area of research and focus, but um, that's just one of many different therapeutic approaches. Um, just to kind of continue on this for a minute for anyone who's either, I mean, because we're talking about the cutting edge of research. I mean, that's really what Michael J. Fox Foundation has become is, you know, both building awareness of what Parkinson's disease is, who it affects, but also, and, and looking for these solutions, but also I think really trying to help people understand like, well, how do you survive and live with it better Absolutely. in the current moment? So what are some of the things, I mean, I've heard, I've heard from men, for instance, that like sexual activity is, is it can, can, can help. I obviously Mediterranean diet seems to be like the, the cure all for everything. Uh, exercise. I mean, some common sense things and some surprises. What? What? Um. Is there anything that you'd like to just shout out that are known today and kind of going forward that are helping people? Sure. Well, so I, I would say the first thing is that we recommend to anyone you know that we meet that um, has either been living with Parkinson's for a while or is newly diagnosed. Um, you know, one one tip is to um, see a movement disorder specialist. So this is a doctor who um, is a, it's a trained neurologist, but they've actually done even further studies specific to Parkinson's disease and other related diseases. And, you know, at the top of the call, you even sort of mentioned that, you know, it's a really sort of heterogeneous disease. Everyone's experience with it is different. And so um, seeing a doctor that really is a movement disorder specialist can really help you navigate a more personalized approach to your disease. So I would say that's sort of one. Um, but I can say probably on behalf of most movement disorder specialists, the second thing that they're going to say is exercise. 
exercise, exercise, exercise. And actually, it's um, the one thing that so far has been shown to have um, an impact on how people progress with the disease. The outcome seems to be really good for people who um, are able to exercise in, in a way that is healthy. And listen, we should all be exercising. I was going to say that <laughs> we should all be exercising for all sorts of reasons. Exactly. Yeah. And similarly, having, you know, uh, just a well-rounded, healthy diet, Mediterranean diet, you know, that's another thing that, you know, I'll hear from a lot of movement disorder specialists that they are heavily recommending to um, to people living with Parkinson's. Um, but, you know, I would say I don't I don't think I've gone anywhere um, and spoken to any uh, movement disorder specialist that where exercise didn't come up. So, um, you know, which type of exercise Really, I think it's anything, again, it's the same advice, you know, I think we would give ourselves, right? It's like exercise that you enjoy, that you'll do consistently um, is is um, is always, I think, something that would be recommended for, um, you know, trying to live, live a quality life while living with Parkinson's. As I mean, as we think uh, towards the end, I'll, uh, I want to make sure that you are able to give our listeners and viewers a chance to like where they can get some more information, both about the foundation, but the disease itself. But for now, I mean, one one other question before we come to that, back to kind of like the future of the disease and the future of the foundation. I mean, one of the things that is curious to me as we're talking, is this a genetic disorder? Like what causes Parkinson's do we know? So we do know that there are some genetic links to Parkinson's. Um, so there have absolutely been a few different genetic mutations and genetic variants um, that have been studied and continue to be studied um, that show a link between Parkinson's um, and, and these specific genetic mutations. Um, at the same time, not everyone who gets a Parkinson's diagnosis or is living with Parkinson's has those specific genetic mutations. And even more interesting is that there are a lot of people that have these some of these genetic mutations and actually never go on to develop Parkinson's disease. Wow. So it, it, you know, in a way that actually has been um, helpful as we think about therapeutic development. So when these certain genetic mutations have been discovered, um, you know, one example is um, the LERC2 mutation, um, LRRK2 is one example, um, because some people go on to develop the disease who have the mutation and others don't, it can be really powerful to study, you know, what's actually going on in people that don't develop the disease? Is there something protective that they have that could be harnessed for, you know, a future drug intervention as an example? So the fact that we um, know a little bit more about, you know, the genetic underpinnings of Parkinson's disease um, has been helpful for therapeutic development. But the, the current hypothesis is that it's some sort of intersection between your genetic makeup and also your environmental exposures, and and that is is always makes it a little bit more complicated, right? Because we each have different environmental exposures, but um, that seems to be um, what's underneath some of the causation. That makes sense. And 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 Parkinson is named after, I believe, the English doctor who discovered it in the early 1800s. That's right. What what was the like as we think about the future of the disease? What was it that he discovered in I think it was eighteen seventeen. So mostly it was um, those initial hallmarks of the motor disease, right? That um, that uh, re resting tremor, 
um, the slowness of gait. Um, there was something that, you know, he was seeing consistently um, that um, I, you had sort of mentioned earlier too, right? Like, the, it, is this just old age? No, actually. Um, it was something that um, clearly was uh, something that needed to be diagnosed. Um, and so, you know, now as we look to the future and like, how can we build on that, right? From, you know, it's 2023, hopefully we've got farther than than from the 1800s and, and happy to say that that is the case. As we look forward, you know, most people will get a Parkinson's diagnosis um, and to a certain extent in, in a similar way. You'll see a doctor and they'll evaluate your symptoms, um, at maybe rule out some other things, but there's no Parkinson's test. Right. right. You don't go wow. out and you get a blood test wow. and they tell you of Parkinson's. And so, um, you know, that's a, a challenge, of course, for getting a diagnosis. But you can also imagine that's a challenge when you're thinking about um, clinical trials and actually testing a drug um, to see whether or not it has an impact on Parkinson's disease. Um, well, we don't have these more sort of measurable you know, quantitative assessments of Parkinson's disease and also how is it changing over time? It's it's really challenging. And so um, I think this is really important for the future of Parkinson's disease is actually getting measures of the disease, getting those, you know, quote unquote, Parkinson's tests. And that's actually something that the Fox Foundation is um, is is pushing for through our landmark clinical study called the Parkinson's Progression Markers Initiative. Um, so while this has been around since 2010, um, you know, this is now a, a, um, a public-private partnership with, um, you know, more than 40 pharmaceutical companies and biotech companies, um, you know, and what's important about this study is that um, we're actually looking for, you know, more than 100,000 individuals to get involved and not just people with Parkinson's. We're actually looking for people who do not have a diagnosis of Parkinson's to also get involved because we want to understand what, you know, what is the risk for Parkinson's disease? Right. Um, so that's, I that's think remarkable part of, of the future. That's remarkable. I mean, a hundred thousand individuals and, and to create, I mean, as you say, I mean, the complexity of not being able to make a formal quote, unquote, formal diagnosis and officiated in, in, in science, not to have a zero one, right. That's um, right. Is, is very tricky. That's fascinating. That's right. I mean, as we think about kind of wrapping up Vanessa, you know, I really, really love the, I'm going to call it the vision statement. I don't know how you guys categorize it. I'm a brander, you know, like, but the the vision statement is very big, bold, and audacious, which is we're here until Parkinson's isn't. Um, you talked about your unique business model, which puts funding to work immediately because you have this kind of urgency. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure Michael himself has a desire to see the progress. I mean, you know, on, on what he started, but you know, you have these two kind of bifurcated goals, which is finding the cure through this aggressively funded research agenda and secondarily, obviously like ensuring the development of an improved therapies, um, for people living with it today and, and, and tomorrow. Um, when we think about wrapping up, like how would you think about the future of Parkinson's disease in summary? And how secondarily would you like our listeners and viewers to kind of get involved and, and learn more? So um, the first thing I'll say is I hope everyone visits our website, michaeljfox.org. 
um, not only do we have a lot of resources for living well with the disease, um, or you know, if you have a, a friend or family member, um, resources for how you can support your family, friend, family or or friend um, at, throughout their unique journey with Parkinson's disease. Um, we also have a lot of opportunities for people to get involved in some of the research that you know we've been talking about today. Um, you know, unless people are able to, you know, step up and participate in research, um, you know, we're not really going to be able to accelerate those better treatments as quickly as we can. So, um, you know, one of the things that the foundation is really focused on, you know, we were founded by um, a person with Parkinson's. Um, you know, we are constantly engaged in the in the Parkinson's community. Um, and so we want to make sure that the the Parkinson's voice is heard. And and one of the ways to do that is um, by participating in these research studies and moving it forward. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is most um, promising as I look towards the future of Parkinson's, um, we talked a little bit about, you know, risk um, of, of Parkinson's disease. And um, one of the things um, that is a challenge for not having a, a you know, quote unquote, Parkinson's test is oftentimes by the time you do receive a diagnosis, um, you likely have already had the disease that has been, you know, progressing, albeit, you know, more minor symptoms, but it's probably already been there. I think as a result, um, particularly uh, from the study, the Parkinson's Regression Markers Initiative, we can really see a future where, um, you know, through more um, nuanced testing and, you know, earlier symptoms such as um, a loss of smell, which seems to predate, you know, some of these, you know, motor changes. Um, what if we could actually diagnose it earlier? And what if we had better interventions? So now you're actually talking about, you know, real change and, you know, potential prevention of, you know, a, 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 a more uh, stronger development of that's that's very confusing loss of smell given given COVID um that's that's very difficult <laughs> it is it is and you know you can get loss of smell for a lot of other reasons right so that's why you know just having a loss of smell is not enough to say you know you oh of course you have risk for Parkinson's disease not not at all um but you know as we start to get a little bit more sophisticated with um, you know, what are the different risk factors and, you know, what what actually, if you do have loss of smell and you have other um, potential risk factors, um, th that is actually a future where we might actually be able to say um, it, it's not Parkinson's or maybe it is actually risk of Parkinson's. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, I, I really thank you for joining us. Um, is there any last things that you you know, you, you, you representing the Michael J. Fox Foundation kind of as the preeminent source on Parkinson's disease, you know, want to wish into uh, the the universe for the future of Parkinson's disease? You know, I, I am wishing, you know, that, again, we're really able to even further mobilize the Parkinson's community. And when I say Parkinson's community, I mean, not only people who are living with with Parkinson's or, you know, supporting people with Parkinson's, but also, you know, the Parkinson's research community and the research community at large. Um, you know, I think there's uh, we talked at the top of the call about, um, you know, the instances of Parkinson's, um, you know, that as our population ages, it's, you know, continuing to grow. And so, um, you know, we really need action and investment in Parkinson's research today. So, um, I'm, I'm putting that out there that, you know, I hope, um, certainly I hope your listeners 
um, go to michaeljfox.org and and get involved. Um, and uh, and I you know hope that we're really able to mobilize the the broader community to really affect change to to get better treatments and to put the Fox Foundation out of business. I, I like that. I, I like I like all of those hopes. And um, you know the future of Parkinson's disease has lots. I think of parallels with many other you know kind of diseases that the world is dealing with you know it takes it takes resources it takes collaboration it takes time um so thank you for sharing uh your experience and the incredible work that the the michael j fox foundation is doing on the subject of of really eradicating um uh parkinson's disease thanks for having me lisa it's a pleasure um, for everyone listening, if you don't already subscribe to Future of XYZ, visit future-of.xyz to get links to all of our podcast platforms, as well as the YouTube page uh, hosted by Rhode Island PBS. Um, and make sure you follow us on Instagram as well at Future of XYZ. And as we said, um, make sure you visit uh, michaeljfoxfoundation.org. We really, really look forward to a great season uh, in 2023 with this being the kickoff. And we will see you again in two weeks time. Vanessa, thank you. Thanks, Lisa.